Welcome to the Recruitment and Careers Club. We're joined today by Simon Alexander Ong. So Simon is an award-winning executive and life coach, as well as a business strategist who this year released his book, Energize. Simon has been featured in Forbes, BBC, Sky News, Harvard Business Review, FT, and Huffington Post. He's also a graduate from LSC, who worked within the world of investment banking before embarking on his vocation in life. Simon's motto is that if you transform your energy, you transform your life. Have I done my job properly, done yourself justice in terms of that research, first and foremost, Simon? Johnny, that was a very kind and wonderful introduction. And I think I'm going to have to hire you to introduce me at more events. <laughs> I'll send you the check later. So for the audience that doesn't know you, Simon, can you tell us more about your background and to who Simon is? Sure. So I grew up, Johnny, with this mistaken belief that success was defined by my job title. Be a banker, be a lawyer, be a doctor, be an accountant. And so after graduating from the London School of Economics in 2007, I decided to start my career in the world of investment banking. Unfortunately, the timing was a little off because this was a year before the financial crisis. And the company that I started my career with was Lehman Brothers, which collapsed into administration in 2008. However, I think in hindsight, Johnny, it was a beautiful blessing in disguise because it kick-started the journey to where I am today. It got me questioning the beliefs that I had held so long growing up and also understanding what my version of success was. You know, I, I talk a lot about energy and what I notice is that many of us are exhausted not because we're doing too much, but because we're doing too little of the things that bring us joy and also because we're very often running someone else's race. And so I wanted to take responsibility for where I was and where I wanted to be. And that led me to do some of the great things that I now get to do today, such as coaching entrepreneurs, leaders, executives, Michelin star chefs, TV presenters, speaking at some of the planet's most successful companies. And also while the world was in lockdown, having the privilege to write a book with the world's largest publishing house, Penguin. Absolutely fascinating, Simon. I, I remember those times. I think it was 2008, 2009 period, the, the subprime mortgage crisis. So I was actually in Dubai and expats were, instead of going to Dubai, were leaving their cars in airports and it was all over the British press. So it was, it was a crazy time. And I think it was Fred the Shred with Royal Bank of Scotland, if you remember that, where it was one day, they were one day short of running out of money the world's biggest bank at the time. We did a bailout from Gordon Brown and Alistair Darling. So, and, and for all of those, they remember the 2008-9 period, you probably would have seen scenes of people carrying out their stuff from Lehman Brothers that period. Does that ring a bell? Do you remember seeing that? I had just moved into another job around five weeks before the collapse. And I remember I was working in this new company and we had the TV screens on the office floor. And on that Monday morning, we had the news channels on and it was surreal because that was the building that I was working in just a few weeks ago. And to see people that I knew on that television screen, walking out with their boxes, not knowing what was going on behind the scenes, because you have to remember all of this was being done in America, deciding the future of this American bank. And so to see that occur, it felt like I was in some scene of a movie. 
Yeah, it's so true. You, you was you, you had to pinch yourself to what was going on and the and the plunging Dow Jones and stock markets. It was a crazy, crazy time. So, how did you make the transition and career pivot from banking into coaching? And you do a lot of public speaking. Sure. So, what the crisis did, even though I still spent nearly a decade in the world of finance, in and out of jobs, is it got me to question what success meant for myself. You know, up, up until the financial crisis, I'd always followed my family's perception of what success was. But this crisis got me questioning those beliefs. And so I started to sit down, Johnny, and ask myself, well, if I've only got this one life, what would be the things that I wanted to do in the time that I have here on earth? And I just started brainstorming all of these ideas onto paper. And there were lots of things. There were things that I wanted to do, things that I wanted to experiment with, who I wanted to be, what I wanted to be involved in. And it ended up being around two to three pages of A4 paper. Now, what I did is I took those sheets of paper and I imagined myself as the 85 or 90-year-old Simon looking at this sheet of these sheets of paper as if I had not done or followed through with anything on there. And which of those things would I regret not having taken any action on? And so I just started circling different bullet points as I started to imagine myself in that scenario. And when I went to my second job, what I did is I started to use the time outside of work, the evenings and the weekends and the holidays, to start dipping my feet into the business world to understand what were the things that I wanted to do because I knew I didn't want to be in this industry forever. But on the other hand, I didn't know what I wanted to do if I were to start my business. And so I just started researching by reading books, going to seminars, learning from different communities of people, diversifying my environment. And that led me to be involved with a couple of businesses which didn't work out. But ultimately, it led me to explore the world of coaching because I've always enjoyed helping people. I've always been that person, Johnny, where people may have a challenge or they've got a big life decision to make. And they would come to me, ring me and say, Simon, can I grab 10, 15 minutes of your time? I just wanted to ask you a few questions. But I never knew that I could turn that into a full-time career and income until I went to a two-day event in London to learn more about the coaching industry. By the end of it, I was like, I want to sign up. I want to learn about this skill and see if it's something that I could turn into a business. And that was back in 2012 to 2014. It was two years it took me to finish those qualifications. And then over the course of the few years after that, I slowly made that my side hustle. And then in 2017, I made the official leap out of full-time employment to doing this, full, to, to, to doing this as a full-time entrepreneur. Really fascinating. And would you say, Simon, that it's now become a calling, a vocation? Because I always distinguish a job, a job is a means to an end. A job you live for the weekends, a job you tend to have a lot of Monday morning blues mm. to those who have a career where there's a series of promotion moves. And then you have those that are lucky enough, their purpose and their passion is their career and it's their calling. Would you describe what you do now as your calling in life in the field that you're in? Definitely. I think you're right about the difference between a job and, and a calling or vocation. Because when I was in investment banking, it felt like a job in a sense that it was there just to make money. You, you, I was using the weekends and my holidays to escape the reality of where I was. On the outside, it looked successful. You know, Simon's earning good money working for a big bank. Simon's traveling to some exotic places. He's able to dine in some wonderful restaurants. But on the inside, 
I, I just didn't have that fulfillment. I didn't feel like I was living a good life. And so that's what a job felt like to me. It was just a means to earn money, to be able to keep going in life. But with what I do now, the reason I think it's a calling or a vocation is the fact that I just love doing this every day. I love waking up and imagine what would be possible if I were to reach out to someone, if I were to put a bit of content out there, if I had the opportunity to speak, to write, to coach someone. I'm always thinking of ways on how I could improve in the work that I do. And for me, that's when you know it's your calling because you naturally are seeking out ways to become better at what you're doing. You're mastering the skill that you're applying in the work that you do. Whereas in the field of banking, I wasn't motivated to go and learn extra courses about how to be better trader or better financial manager. And the reason I didn't do that is because I didn't think it was worth my time to study something that I just didn't enjoy. Whereas now, I just love spending time with people that I can learn from and also thinking of ways that I can spread my message to more people. Yeah, I mean, I always say when people ask, you know, what's your definition of success? And it's so relative, mm -hmm. isn't it? And for me, it's about having a meaningful life. And there's three factors to that is having a meaningful career, having a meaningful relationship and to make a difference. A lot of people struggle with the third part because they associate difference with sending rockets into space like Elon Musk or conquering the world with Amazon and Jeff Bezos. But we all make a difference. And I love the fact that you allude and you talk about making that impact, making that difference to others that really got you into coaching and be, it became a, a vocation because a lot of people, I think, struggle with that concept of the third aspect when it comes to making a difference. They kind of balloon it up in their heads. Would you agree with that? Definitely. I think that when we talk about making a difference, as you said, it doesn't have to be sending a rocket to space or doing anything grand like that. Making a difference can simply be for the work that you do, the lives that you touch and the people you come across you make them feel better than before they met you. It can be as simple as that. That's a simple, the simplest way that we can make a difference. Now, for me, I think what took me from what I was doing to what I'm now doing was also a journey from channeling my energy away from career virtues to legacy virtues. You know, career virtues are things such as what company do I work for? How much do I earn? What status do I hold? It's the things that we put on our CV and the things that we refer to to show off to other people. But legacy virtues are the impact that you have on other people's lives, the story that you're writing about your own, the legacy that you're going to create for your children or your employees or your organization that you founded and created. For me, the legacy virtues are far more important because that's where meaning is derived from. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And I think a lot of people get caught up in impressing others kind of scenarios of doing stuff or having stuff is all about what impacted, what kind of how they've impressed others more than the actual legacy part. So you talk about energy and, and there's a fascinating book that you've, you've released and I'd recommend anyone to get it. We'll, we'll give you the details later at the end of the podcast, but what made you actually write a book and also the focus on the whole concept of energy? Sure. So I'm going to be honest, Johnny, I actually wasn't planning to write a book, but the universe works in mysterious ways. So I got approached by a boutique publishing house here in the UK who were following my work on social media. And they sent me an email and they said, Simon, would you like to meet for coffee? We'd like to explore a potential idea of having you write a book with us. So I went to meet them for coffee with a very open mind and they gave me a proposal on what they wanted to do with me. Now, after I read through the proposal, I was like, 
I'm not quite sure I, I want to publish a book with them because it felt like it was a win-lose, a win for them and a lose for me. And so after reflecting on where I was in that moment, I took it as a sign that maybe it was the right time to think about a book. So I used that fact that I had the offer to then go towards the bigger publishers. I said, if I could only publish one book, who would I love to publish it with? And straight to my mind were the houses like Penguin or HarperCollins, Hay House, Simon & Schuster. And so I started to reach out to these publishing houses and Penguin was one of the few companies that actually returned my emails. And they invited me to their offices. We had a coffee, we discussed the ideas I had. And one of those that I put forward as a working title was Energy is Everything, which eventually evolved to energize during the editing process. But the reason that I put forward that title, Energy is Everything, because it speaks a lot to my own journey. You know, in my second and third job in, in the financial industry, I had multiple experiences of burnout. There were very long hours. I was often in the office around five or six in the morning and out towards the end of the evening, maybe even longer on client entertainment evenings. And that really sapped the energy out of me physically, mentally, spiritually, and emotionally. And as I started to address that lack of energy, what I've realized is that in order for us to achieve any goal, we need to have some sort of energetic foundation to do so. And the bigger the goal, the more important it is to have the energy to achieve it. There's no point having all the latest tips, tricks, and hacks if you just don't have the energy to put it into action and apply it. And so that's what I really wanted to speak to. And then I remember leading up to putting this proposal together, I, I record this visual of speaking at a lot of events and audience members coming up to me, Johnny, saying, Simon, I love your energy on stage. If only I could have a small ounce of the energy that you bring into the room, I could go on and achieve so much in my life and career. And so I really wanted to speak to that as well. You know, how did I get to a position in which I wake up looking at possibilities over limitations and resourcefulness over lack of resources? And it really came from the way that I saw my world and the energetic state that I was operating from. Really interesting. And I love the, how you describe that journey. That, that writing come naturally to you? No, I'm going to tell you the truth, Johnny. Writing the book was one of the biggest challenges I have ever faced. I wouldn't class myself as a natural writer. I would say I'm more of a natural speaker than a natural writer. So if somebody said to me, Simon, can you go up on stage and speak for 20 minutes to an audience of thousands? I'll go, sure, give me the mic, I'll go up. But with writing, I have to think a bit more because when I speak, I can just kind of put a few bullet points together, choose a couple of stories and off I go. But in a book, you have to really dissect the sort of arguments and the stories and the message that you want to convey to the reader. Now, the reason why it was a challenge for me, Johnny, not just because it was the first time I was writing a book, but also because a few weeks before I got the deal with Penguin, I also became a parent for the first time. All of this in the backdrop of the fact that the world had just entered multiple lockdowns. So my business had to adapt. You know, a big part of the revenue I get in my business is from speaking at events in person. And so as soon as the first lockdown came into force, all of that was gone because I had emails and messages saying, unfortunately, we have to cancel this event. Unfortunately, we have to postpone this event because we just can't carry out with it. And so to have to manage all of those different moving pieces, as well as having to write a 65,000 word book did make that journey a lot tougher than I predicted. Yeah, incredible. 
and the timing of it. So first of all, congratulations on having your child, boy or girl? Girl, now two and a couple of months now. Daddy's girl? Yeah, I mean, we got a good connection. I think she's been very fortunate to have had daddy home pretty much every day over the first two years of her life. Absolutely. I've got twins, boy and girl, in the first three months, I think I would make it. But so exhausted, but it's the most rewarding, it's the best thing I've ever done in my life. But you touched on some really important areas there, burnout being one of them, mm. which in sectors like financial services has been one of the side effects. You earn a lot of money, but they get their pound of flesh in mm. the process. And one of the major reasons why people need companies is because of toxic work environments. And some of which is the burnout development to it, that there's no work-life balance, just continuously work, work, work. So they smash and hit that brick wall. You mentioned the pandemic, you mentioned about burnout and the sector that you were in and energy. What effect does energy actually have on our mental health and well-being? It has a huge effect actually, because we, we have this mistaken assumption that in order to be more productive, we need to work more hours. And so the first thing that gets sacrificed is either your sleep or the opportunity to move your body through exercise. So we say, I can't go gym today or I've got to sleep later. And so I end up just having a few hours in bed because I need to get this done. And this sort of culture was prevalent at the time that I was in, in the financial industry. Now, the irony here is that we think that we're more productive by having less sleep, so we get more hours to get more done. But because we get more done by sacrificing sleep, we're actually even more tired. And we take more time to get the same work done because we're less productive with less sleep. And so it's really understanding that we can't be as effective unless we are taking care of ourselves first. You know, I was reading an article recently in Harvard Business about the CEO who started a public relations company in 2016. And in the years during COVID, they had the most profitable years ever. But the reason they did is because this particular CEO suffered a breakdown. She suffered a breakdown as a result of having her third child, but also she suffered mild effects of Lyme disease. And that taught her how important her health was. So it was a massive sign for her and a wake up call. And what she did is she completely redesigned her lifestyle. She prioritized physical and mental well-being and made sure that the energy she had would actually be healthy when she showed up at her company. She took well-being courses from Yale. She read different magazines to understand how she could better include practices like yoga and meditation in her weekly routines. And when she came back to the office, she was seen as an energizing character such that she began to change the mood of the employees and the teams around her. And that meant that when COVID did strike, they were able to adapt very quickly to what was being thrown their way. Yeah, because after all, Simon, your health is your wealth. Mm. And I've encountered a lot of this being involved in the world of recruitment and careers for over 25 years and having placed 3,000 people globally. You've got this disconnect. It mm. historically was, say, for example, in the world of sales or recruitment, where it's mm. a result driven industry and you're only as good as your next deal. Mm. And there was this culture, I remember for many, many years, personally, and I've mm. uh, encountered with, uh, with candidates and job seekers, that you really had that pressure of being the first one in 
or at the very least making sure that you weren't the first one out of the office. There was that kind of tension and area where people would do some banter and say, oh, he's left early, lightweight and all that kind of stuff. But there were more dicks and they had subtle kind of implications to go with it because it was that kind of mindset that if you weren't working late, mm. if you weren't getting early, then you really weren't working and mm. you really weren't trying and you weren't really giving. So it was all about being busy, mm. which I always say is a road to nowhere. And instead concentrate on productivity and being productive because time equals results. I don't know about you in terms of the business leaders you're coming across that the reason for the great resignation as well that we've had during the pandemic and the otherwise dubbed by the great resignation by the media or the great reset is because people have had time to think what's important, what's not, mm. and the type of culture, the type of work environment that they want to be in. So one of the two areas is flexible working hours or, or at least having remote working options. Have you seen from your work that things have moved on from that culture of work, hard work, long hours, otherwise you're not really giving it your all? I would say yes and no. Yes. In the sense that, I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you an example. When I was in investment banking, if someone wants to suggest at the time that I worked in that industry that you should have a well-being committee, you would probably be laughed at for suggesting something so ridiculous. But now I've done a lot of work with companies who hired me in through their well-being committee. And so I think, yes, in the way that we're now having these sort of individuals putting together programs or solutions to the culture that has dominated these industries, no, in the sense that during COVID, because we all had to suddenly shift towards remote working, the line between work and play and work and home life suddenly got blurred. And so now when somebody messages you on a platform like Slack or your office chat system and they expect a response within, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes, now you almost even more change your work because people then start messaging, oh, have you checked the message? Have you read my other message on the chat? And so because they can't see you, there has to be an element of trust that you're actually going to follow through and do what needs to be done that they can't see that you do work. When you're in the office, they can see you in front of your computer doing something. But now when you take away the visual element of it, it really brings to the fore how much people really trust you. I think that's the part where I say no, because I've seen a lot of companies in which they feel like they're working more now that they're working from home. So I think there's arguments that I've seen where it's yes and no, and it is really sort of a case-by-case -case basis in how companies are responding to this new way of working. So many good points, because there is the dividing line between companies like JB Morgan, Goldman Sachs, that see all this remote working as an aberration, not mm. the normal. They're really buying to so much, you know, hybrid working, remote working. They feel like you need to have people there on site to, to be able to lap up the culture and people just aren't working and or as productive. And then there are others which studies will back as well that people actually work 10 hours more a mm. week by working from home. And that's because obviously we lose so many hours. Think about it, just traveling on the trains, the delays, look at all the strikes that we've got here in the UK, for example. So it's a mindset then between the new guard of business leaders, and I suppose the old guard of what they were always used to. And I think control comes into it where yep. you've got people away from you 
you feel like you've got maybe a lack of control. So therefore, like you said about the trust, the mm. trust element comes in. But I think we've had two years where people have seen through the pandemic, mm. you can trust your workforce. In fact, if you emancipate your workforce, you get more productivity out of them. And maybe, Simon, the happy medium is three days working at home yeah. and then two days in the office where you get FaceTime with the C-suite and then you mm. do kind of teamwork collaborations. What's your thoughts on that? Definitely. I mean, I think that every, every company will be different, but I think if it's about striking a right balance between the two, where as you said, people do have the option to have flexible working or they can work in the office for some of those days as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that again, when, when we think about the optimal way of working, it is also dependent on the demographic we're speaking about, because if you look at the, and I remember reading some surveys about this, if you look at the older demographic. What you'll notice is that they prefer to actually work more from home because they may have families, they, they, they may live further out from the city. But when you speak to the younger demographic, they actually want to be in the office because you know, they want to meet their colleagues, they want to go for drinks, they want to socialize in the city. And so I think it's about one, understanding what the optimal structure is for the company as a whole, but also understanding within that the different demographics of communities you have to make up your workforce. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think sometimes we have this glamorization because we see videos from Elon Musk about sleeping on the factory floor, working all those hours. And uh, if you're not doing it, you're not really an entrepreneur. Just to go on to energy again, because I find this whole concept fascinating. Your initial book idea of energy is everything also kind of twigged a lot of ideas in my head. We live in a world where, let's face it, a lot of people are suffering from attention deficit disorder. Because we have a lot of distractions, don't we? We're in a digital age, mobile phones, what have you. How does energy impact focus? Energy impacts focus simply because we, you know, we have a limited amount each day. And what happens is that if we leak that energy unknowingly through whether it's having distractions open all day, notifications picking up, or, you know, being being allowed to be pulled left, right, and center, then what happens is you actually don't make progress on what is most important. And that is why the, I remember reading the book, Deep Work by Cal Newport, and he said, the focus is today's IQ. You know, if you go back in time, we used to measure people's IQ on how much they knew, their knowledge. But in today's world, that is irrelevant now because you and I can go to Google and search for anything we want in seconds we get the answer straight away. So IQ isn't measured by what you know now because any of us can find that within seconds. IQ today is now measured by our ability to focus in an ocean and an avalanche of distractions. Because if we have the ability to focus on what is most important for our own journeys, we actually make more progress in months than many do in years. And this is where energy comes in because if you allow those distractions to own your day and your schedule. What happens is you simply won't have the energy to actually channel that into the thing that is going to help you. You know, people joke with me, but there is a lot of truth to this. My, my dress sense is very simple, black t-shirt, jeans, and trainers. I don't have to think about what I'm going to wear each day. Now, what that does, and this is just one example, what that does is it reserves my mental energy for the bigger decisions in the day ahead. So rather than killing my mental energy and tiring it out from making so many decisions such as what am I going to wear today? What am I going to eat for lunch? Who do I have to meet? What do I have to send out? If I already eliminate or pre-plan many of those trivial decisions, 
that means I can save my mental energy for bigger decisions I have to make, such as who am I going to hire? Do I hire this person or that person? What piece of content do I need to distribute? Who do I need to follow up with to get this project over the line? You know, it saves me time to channel my energy to the things that are actually going to help me make progress towards some of my most important goals. And I can vouch for Simon's dresswear because I saw Simon in the exact same black t-shirt at his book launch. How does energy affect others in the world of our relationships? Relationships are the currency of life. How does our energy affect our relationships at work or our personal relationships? Sure. Energy is fundamentally infectious. Now, what I mean by that is energy in any of its forms is infectious. So if you surround yourself with negative energy, then of course you can't help but feel negative. If you expose yourself to more positive energy, then of course you're going to feel naturally more positive. Now, this is where things such as the law of attraction or manifestation of vibration come in. Because when you go out in the world, when you show up with a certain level of energy, you attract people who are also at that frequency. You know, if you go into a room, for example, and you start complaining about your week and things that haven't happened in your life, about how unfair the government is or the economy, guess what? You're going to quickly find some like-minded people gravitating towards you and go, hey, I also agree. This is rubbish. And what happens is suddenly now you've attracted your tribe. Whereas if you walk in and you talk about possibilities, how we can start changing the way the world is with regards to what is in our control, however small. If you talk about the things that you're doing to push yourself out of your comfort zone, guess what? Suddenly you start to attract very different people who then come to you and say, that's so true. I just tried this last week for the very first time. This is what happened. What other things are you trying? So suddenly what's happening is that you start to attract a very different vibe of people. And, and this has a very important effect within organizations. You know, the energetic quality of your leaders determines the energetic quality of the company. I mean, you may resonate with this. If you've ever worked for a company and your boss had a, I don't know, uh, a bad night or bad weekend, and he or she strolls into the office, very negative. Guess what? You don't have to talk to him or her, but you feel it. And you're like, oh, we, we shouldn't mention that to him or her today because I don't think they're in a good mood to receive that information. Let's hold off till later in the week. You feel that energy. Now, you might not be able to describe or explain it, but you feel it. And we all know this intellectually, but we might not be addressing it in our own life. Because if I were to say to you the words, the force, which we reference in Star Wars, or prana, which people mention in yoga, or chi, that people say in my Chinese culture, it all means the same thing, which is energy as a life force. We can't describe or put it into words, but we can all feel it. We can all feel it and understand it at a very subtle level. Yeah, I can re resonate with that. It's a few, few bosses that I've had in my time. Do you think energy, Simon, is key to gaining respect and being a leader? Absolutely, because energy is how you make people feel. When you have conversations with one another, what they receive is, wow, I really enjoy being in this person's field. I enjoy being in this person's space. Now, if that is the way you relate to others, guess what? More people want to do business with you. More people want to refer you to opportunities and more people want to help you. 
that is why energy can be so powerful because it becomes such a it becomes such an influential way to get the things that you desire in a way that just requires you to show up as your true self. Now, the reason why many people don't is because there is a bit of tension between what they do right now in terms of work and what they actually want to do. And when there's a disconnect with that, that's when we create a bit of tension. We are, as I would say, we're very low in terms of spiritual energy because we're not doing the things that make us feel alive. We're doing things just for the sake of making money. And so, of course, we can't ever feel fully energized. Do we have an energy field, have different levels of energy that maybe affect our ability to secure opportunities and ultimately success? Definitely. I mean, when I think about fields, a good analogy to use is this. If you were, if you were going to a networking event and two people approaches and you are deciding who you want to start a conversation with, then if one of them comes up to you with shoulders down, not looking particularly joyful, something's on their mind versus the next person who's coming across fairly confident, excited about the day, looking at opportunities, just interested in meeting new people. Who would you be drawn to, the first or the second one? Now, of course, it'll be the second one because what's happening is they're emitting a certain energy with the field they operate in. And you just want to think, okay, I don't know what it is about them, but I just want to say hi. And, and that's why this becomes very powerful. I totally agree. And, and it's like that in an interview as well, situation where interviewing is like dating. Mm -hmm. and people are making assessments within, they say, 15 minutes and the rest are going through the motions and slap kind of shoulders or negative posture or whatever, or the energy you exude. I think we're just hardwired to pick up on all of that, whether it's in our professional or personal lives. Would you say that you've always had a plenty full of positive energy in your life? Have you always been that way inclined? No, not really. I don't think it was until I, I made intentional steps to transition out of the corporate world to what I now do. There were dark periods in my life, Johnny, where I didn't feel positive at all. You, you know, when I lost my, my mum at the age of 17, for example, it was very difficult for me to find anything positive from that experience. And you have to remember back then, the discussion of mental health and resources available, it, it wasn't discussed in the mainstream. There was nothing that was shared within schools or workplaces. I mean, now it's very different. Now, there's so many resources and, and social media and tools that we can use to address our mental health issues. But at the time, I just didn't know what to do. And I, and I didn't feel comfortable sharing that news with friends of mine in school. When I, when I went back to school after the weeks that I took off for grievance, you saw the faces of these students who were enjoying their time playing football in the playground, catching up about the latest TV show they're watching. I just didn't feel comfortable to go, hey, by the way, my mom's not here anymore. I just didn't know how to handle it. And also I imagined they would be asking me questions. I just wasn't ready to handle it. And so that was one of the periods in which I felt very uncomfortable about what the future would hold because it was a very dark period. And then when I went to university in my second year, I failed that year. I had so much pressure and so much expectation from my, this was a Chinese family that had high hopes for their child. And to then tell them that I failed my year and I had to repeat that year. A three-year degree now becomes a four-year degree. That was very tough. I thought that I had no future ahead because three Fs 
out of four exams taken. I mean, that is what I felt a huge shame on the family. And so I just went into my cocoon for a while, not knowing what to do. But again, these were moments in which I think they equipped me with the wisdom and the insight to have now built some beautiful moments in my life. But I think that was only really once I realized that there was much more out in the world that I could do other than just finance. That's when my mindset really started changing. And also the people I spent time with, the books I read, the seminars I went to, that really exposed me to a new way of thinking. Well, first of all, Simon, thank you for sharing that and your vulnerability in doing so. I can only imagine how hard that must have been. I personally just lost my grandma yesterday. Uh, you know, at such a young age, your mum. So, and the way you, you turned your life around, because for a lot of people, it could have crushed them. Really. I, th I came across this saying, pain is inevitable, mm. but suffering is optional. Yeah. And I had totally resonate in terms of cultural lines. I'm half British, half Iranian. There is that pressure on you must do this. You must do that. It's like, for instance, me entering the world of recruitment careers. My dad really had a, a nervous breakdown about it because he didn't understand what the hell that was and why wasn't I a doctor or an engineer. And there is that expectation. Then there is that pressure, which can affect your mental health and well-being. And I also came from a generation where mental health and well-being, it never was talked about. If you said any of these things, people would give you second looks or they think, what's the matter with him? You know, what's he going on about? Sharing a story like that just helps, especially men. Mm -hmm. I think we're, we're, we're good at doing bravado yeah. and uh, explaining what we've done and how well we've done things. But I think emotions, stuff comes up in opening up. I think guys in particular, we still struggle. In particular, guys that are entrepreneurs, they say entrepreneurs are 50% more likely to suffer from mental health problems than mm. the average population and to have that ability to deal with such emotions. So having inspirations like you mm. to relay that, I think it really helps. Thank so you. Sure. What would the older Simon tell the younger Simon? Oh, the older Simon will probably share so much, Johnny, but if I had to just pick one for, for this conversation. It would probably be to listen to your heart. It may not always lead you to where you want to be, but it will always lead you to where you need to be because listening to your heart is far better than seeking the validation of others who don't know what resides in the wisdom of your heart. So that's the one thing I would say, because I think there's a reason why many of us talk about the longest journey for humans being the distance from our heads to our hearts. And that is because so often we ignore what it is telling us. Often until a personal tragedy happens or a big life event occurs, then we begin to give space and oxygen to what that inner voice is telling us. Yeah, I totally resonate with that. And will you change anything in your life, Simon? It's an interesting question because I've thought about that a lot. Would I change anything? But at the same time, I don't think I would be the person I am today if the events didn't happen. I'll give an example. I think that seeing my mom pass at such a young age really taught me the fragility of life. That meant that I wanted to take more risks. I wanted to take more chances. Failing a year university, it taught me how to build relationships because, you know, failing that year meant I couldn't apply for jobs the normal way. Back then you had to apply to a job for an application form and they wanted your grades from your exams. Now, there's no way I would have passed the first hurdle with free F to put in those boxes. And so I had to go out and network. 
I had to go out and build relationships in these companies. And they, they came back and said, Simon, send me your CV. We'll forward it on to HR and we'll get you round one and the rest is up to you. So that taught me the importance of, of relationships and networking. You know, if the financial crisis didn't happen, then I don't think I would be pursuing the work I get to do today, coaching, speaking, writing, and so on. And so in some respects, I don't think I would change what has happened because in a way, those events have led to the person I am today doing the work that I get the privilege to do. Everyone has their own journey in life and we all have our own stories, don't we? And that's just part and parcel of it. Has anyone asked you to change something about yourself along that journey? Change something about myself? Yeah, whether it comes to writing, public speaking or coaching or anything that, because you do a lot of stuff now, you work with celebrities, I've seen you in a lot of kind of aspects. Has anyone like tapped you on the shoulder and said, oh, I think maybe you should change that? I'm going to be honest, I've had lots of advice and I've got to say, people love giving advice. You you know, you ask them for their view, their opinion. Oh, I mean, mean, have you got a couple of hours to share advice? I, I, I think the one... One bit of advice that stood out, but more, it stood out more because I don't think I agreed with the advice, but it was also interesting by what they shared. So someone who had followed me for, for a while once said to me, Simon, I think you gotta, you know, you gotta kind of sell yourself more, have like the, 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 the nice backgrounds. And you know, they were, they were like, look at this guy and that guy on YouTube with the flashy cars and you, you know, this sort of like airplane stuff and, and, and on the big stages and all the sort of glitz and glamour there. And I kind of thought to myself, if I did that, that just wouldn't be me. I can have some videos of somebody shooting me in a, I don't know, Maserati or a Tesla going down some highway with lots of nice houses in the background, but I would just feel like I'm faking a profile that wasn't me. And, and so I kindly accepted in terms of their opinion and I continued with what I was doing and what I'm doing is just being me humble, knowing that I can always learn from someone else. I'm not better than anyone. I'm just doing things different and other people might have their own way of doing as well and realizing that we all also have our own challenges and respecting that. And, and so that's one bit of advice I had before, but I, I just didn't agree with it, but I just thought it was fascinating as to how people perceived it from the outside. Yeah. And we live in a world where so many people are faking it. Yeah. And I think people find it very hard to just be them, mm. to just be real. It sounds easy to, you think that must be the most easiest thing to do, just be you, mm. but it really isn't because of all the things that we're bombarded with or all the peer pressures or all the stuff, oh, you know, if you're going to be this, you need to have the fancy car or all of that. And it takes character to just be authentic to yourself. You know, authenticity, Simon, you know, buzzword that we used to hear Clubhouse. <laughs> you know, it's, it feels like prior to Clubhouse, no one was authentic. I don't think so. Just coming down to the last like, a bit of the, the interview, who has been your inspiration in life? Who has been my inspiration in life? I think I've had many, I've been very fortunate to have had many inspirations, personally and also professionally. But I think in terms of impact and influence, no question it, it, it is my wife. I mean, there's a reason why I reference her in the dedication of the book at the beginning. And that is because, you know, she's been with me since the beginning of my journey, when I went through all of those ups and downs with working in the financial, financial industry, to not knowing if this business was going to work, to not knowing if, well, quitting the nine to five is going to work off. You know, would I be going back, bow in hand saying, please employ me again? 
or would I actually make something of, of this entrepreneurial life? And I'm still early in the journey in, 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 in the grand scheme of things, but I think without that support, I wouldn't be here where I am today and have the resilience that I've built through all of these different challenges that every business will encounter at some point. Yeah, because I always say no one great in life ever did it by themselves. Mm. You, know, you look at sport, you look at business, there's always a support crew there. So, so vital. So what's next for Simon? <laughs> what's next? I think there's lots of things that, that I want to do. And it's why, Johnny, I always say to people, I feel like I'm just getting started. Because this year, for example, I published my first book. I'd never done that before. So that for me was a new experience. I'm going to be doing more international speaking this year, which I'm excited about. That for me is one of the next things that I'm channeling my energy towards. I'm, I'm going to Dubai in, in this autumn. I'm then going to the States at the end of the year and potentially to other regions early next year. So that's something I'm very much looking forward to. And one of my longer term projects is to take my work through, through my writing, through my speaking and find a way to translate that onto the medium of television. So whether it's something on Netflix or BBC or one of these streaming platforms as a way to communicate this in a way that anybody can understand in a very simple form that regardless of your background, your education, your ambitions, you can find some wisdom in what I have to share. Well, I wish you all the best with that. It's a fascinating journey you've been, and we've spoken a lot about the book. Where could people buy one? And what's the best socials to reach you for the audience? Sure. Well, the best website to purchase a copy is getenergizedbook.com. That is energized with a Z. And when you go there, you can pick your favorite retailer and then order it there. In terms of social media, I am most active on Instagram or LinkedIn. On Instagram, my handle is at Simon Alexander O. Well, I'd highly recommend everybody to buy a copy because energy is so, so important in life. And Simon is a, a authentic, a world-class coach and just a great all-around human being. So definitely, definitely reach out to buy a copy and uh, reach out to him for any questions you have on Instagram. But I want to thank you so much. I know how busy you are. It's been wonderful speaking to you and let's all get energized. Perfect. Johnny, thank you so much again for having me on your show. Thank you.